And then you can be seated too when you're done. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Judges, Judges chapters 14 and 15. We actually looked at this last week, Judges 14 and 15 with the main character, Samson. And we're going to look at it again this week. Uh, last week, it was from the perspective of self. Samson is all about himself, right? But this week, we're going to look at it from the perspective of anger. And you know, it's really interesting whenever I study something for a sermon, it's amazing how God wants to say something to me and apply it to me personally. So for instance, even just this last week, as I'm preparing a sermon on anger, every night in our household, we have three little ones, and we always have a time when we have to put the house back together. Because it seems like thing one and thing two from Cat in the Hat came through and like destroyed everything. So we have a time where we put everything together, and there's always one child that has to be difficult and defiant. And sometimes it seems like they take turns, like, you know, hey, you take Monday and Friday, I'll take Tuesday and Thursday, we'll make sure that uh, we get it covered. And I've often thought that if you want to be a hostage negotiator, that the FBI should, like, train them by having them come to a household with little kids and put in the bed in one piece, <laughs> you know? If you can do that, then you can negotiate with a terrorist, <laughs> Anyways, though, <laughs> usually my wife and I are prepared for this. We try to be cool and calm and collective, but sometimes we lose it. And this last week, sure enough, one of our children was defiant. And I found myself, you know, raising my voice, trying to remain calm. But before I knew it, I was yelling. I mean, the veins were pumping out of my face. My face is turning red. My fists are clenched. I am yelling at the top of my lungs for them to put their toys away. And do you think that worked? <laughs> no. <laughs> so a few observations from that. Number one, I need Jesus too. I'm not perfect as your senior pastor. There's only one who was. Number two, it's amazing how such a little being can create such an emotional response for me as an adult. <laughs> and number three, what was going on in my heart that I got so angry in that moment? You know, even this past week, too, something broke on my car, uh, on the trunk. One of the, the lift supports broke. And uh, why did I get so angry at something little that broke in my car? Why do I get so angry when I do plumbing? I put it back together, and it leaks. I put it back the same way. I even took photos, and it's not working. <laughs> why do you and I get so angry when the drive through is slow, when somebody doesn't obey traffic laws, when the Internet is slow. <laughs> Technology doesn't work. We just want to, ugh, you know? What causes us to be so angry? I was doing some research online, and one sociologist called our, called our age an age of outrage. A recent poll found that 84% 84 of Americans say they are angrier today compared with a generation ago, which I think is true. So in our text today, we're going to look at a character, Samson, we saw this last week too, who gets very angry. I'm not going to read the whole text. We did that last week. But in chapter 14, Samson, who was chosen by God and raised up to be this godly leader and to deliver them from the Philistines, he chooses a wife from the Philistines. He chooses a wife from the enemy, which is a problem because she doesn't follow the Lord. And by choosing her, he is saying, you know what? I don't want to follow the Lord. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And we see all through chapter 14 that Samson is a man who sees what he wants, and he takes what he wants, even if it goes against the Lord. 
And in chapter 14, at this wedding feast of him and his Philistine wife, he proposes a bet that he has a riddle, and if they can solve it, he will give them 30 sets of clothes, but if they can solve it, or if he can solve it, then they will give him 30 sets of clothes. I think I got that right. But whoever wins gets 30 sets of clothes. And by the end of the bet, his wife tells the Philistines what the answer is because they pressure her, and they solve the riddle. And this is what it says in Judges chapter 14, verse 19. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. He went down to Ashkelon, that's Philistine territory, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. And then it says he is burning with what? Anger. He returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Now, it's very mysterious why God and the Spirit comes on Samson and does this sort of thing, but he is trying to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He is not endorsing Samson's self-promotion and anger, but he still works through it in spite of him. And then it keeps going on in chapter 15. It says, later on at that time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. So do you see what happened here? His father-in-law gives his wife away to someone else and says, hey, I have another daughter who's more beautiful. You can have her instead. Verse 3, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. What, do you think, what emotion do you think is going through Samson right now? Anger, this vengeful spirit. Verse 4, so he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. We saw this last week. And then he then fastened a torch to every pair of tails. He lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. And when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So Samson causes tremendous economic and agricultural destruction for the Philistines. So it says here that the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death to retaliate. To retaliate. Verse 7, Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And he answered, let's say this together, I merely did to them what they did to me. So Samson, he's impulsive. He's rash. He's led by his senses. He sees what he wants and he takes it, even if it goes against the Lord's will. He is a man, can we say, with a temper. I mean, his temper, even though the Lord somehow mysteriously uses it, causes a war with the Philistines it causes economic destruction. It causes his, what he thought was his wife 
and her father's household to be burned to death. I mean, Samson, with his temper, causes a fire that seems to rage out of control. So I want to take the time today to talk about anger. Sometimes I do this in a sermon series. I really think that I should stop and pause and look at something the text brings up. And we're going to look at what the whole Bible says about anger. And we're going to try to do that in 20 minutes or less. We'll see how we do. (laughs) But I want to tackle our topic today by looking at a couple observations about anger first. And then two questions about anger. And then how do we actually handle this thing called anger? So two observations on anger. First of all, anger has incredible power to destroy. Anger has destructive power. And let me tell you the second one, too, because they're going to go together. Anger also has incredible power to bring what? Change. So it has power to destroy, and it has power to bring change. Either way, it is a very powerful emotion. So we often think about the first one with its power to destroy. I was looking up anger and tempers and rage and Proverbs, and look at what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Or Proverbs 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of you spoke some harsh words this past week, like me, to my child? Or go to James. James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become what? Angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How many of us this past week had human anger and it didn't produce the righteousness that God desired? So anger has this incredible power to destroy, for sure. But also, strangely, anger has an incredible power to bring change. I mean, we just heard this wonderful presentation on the Hope Clinic. You know, if you're a Christian and you hear about abortion, certainly you're sad, but you also get what? Angry. (laughs) And sometimes that anger can move you so much that you may start an organization like the Hope Clinic. You may say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit on the side. I'm going to go and I'm going to help. And that's stirred by this complex emotion of anger. Or if you see someone in your life, a family or friend that's struggling with drug addiction, you know, you're going to be sad, but also angry. And that'll cause you hopefully to intervene and and help hopefully, you know, confront them and and give them help because you want to see them change. Anger has incredible power to bring change. So that leads me to my next part. That's two observations. Let's look at two questions on anger. Here's the first question. Is anger good or is it bad? Or to say it another way, is it always sinful to be angry or can it be a righteous thing? Sometimes when I ask, is it good or bad, people like to say, yes. (laughs) What does the Bible say about this? Is anger a good thing or a bad thing? Is it sinful or is there actually a righteous version of this? Certainly, most of us understand the sinful side of it. Even Jesus said that if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of what sin? Murder in your hearts. That's in Matthew 5. Ephesians 4 says to put away all wrath and anger. But did you also realize that the Bible says it's possible to be angry and not sin? 
So look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul talking to the church there. He says, in your anger, do not sin. It's possible to be angry and not sin, Paul says. In fact, if you go back to the original language, it's actually a command. It literally should read, be angry and do not sin. And so if you think about that logically, if God gives us a command to be angry, it stands to reason that if we're not angry at certain things, then it is a sin not to get angry in those situations. Be angry and do not sin. That's what the Bible says. Paul Tripp, in his article, Anger is Essential, he says, in a world that has been broken by sin, it would be wrong not to be angry. How can you look at poverty in the face and not get angry? How can you consider the surge of AIDS and not be angry? How can you look at the political corruption that makes government a place for personal power and not be angry? How can you look at the rate of divorce in Western culture or the prevalence of domestic violence and not be angry as a Christian? How can you consider the huge number of homeless people and not be angry? How can you consider the confusion of gender identity and sexual impropriety that surrounds us and not be angry? How can you consider the state of our institutions and education and art and entertainment and not be angry? Or how can you even look at the church, the state of the church, which seems so often to have lost its way and not be angry? How can you even look at your own life or your family's life or your friend's life, how sin twists and complicates everything and not be angry? In life, in ministry, righteous anger is not only important, it's vital. Think about the life of Jesus Christ for a moment. Did Jesus ever get angry? Amen. Amen. <laughs> there was a situation where he came into the temple. He saw the money lenders and the trade and the commerce happening, and he got angry to the point where he's overturning tables, to the point where he makes a whip, and he's driving people out of that. I'm sure he wasn't skipping while he's doing this and smiling. He was righteously angry. He says, my temple shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I have to think when Jesus was preaching to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and calling them out for their hypocrisy, it was a righteous anger. When he told Peter, get behind me, Satan, I don't think he was smiling at him. He was angry because Peter misunderstood his calling. Jesus got angry. In fact, if you go back even earlier in the Old Testament with Moses, when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, this is what the Lord reveals about himself. It says in Exodus 34 that he, that's God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And read this with me, slow to anger. So our God gets what? Angry. But he's slow about it. And so in my preparation, I heard a sermon called The Healing of Anger, and this particular pastor says, the biblical view of anger is this. It's not no anger, he says, and not blow anger or blowing up anger. It's what? Slow anger. Not no anger, because God calls us to be angry at certain situations, and not blowing up anger, because that's when we lose our temper, and you know, we start fighting fire with fire, but it's slow to anger. That's the biblical view of anger. Not no anger or blow anger, but slow anger. Our God gets angry, but he's slow. 
to anger. Now, I know some people have a problem with that because isn't God a God of love? But just think about what I quoted from Paul Tripp about being angry at the world of sin. If we get angry at sin, shouldn't we have a God who also gets angry at sin? Shouldn't we have a God who will do something about it, who will punish and bring perfect justice? That's a good God. A God who doesn't get angry would not be a perfect God. So be angry and do not sin. But there's a warning if you go back to Ephesians 4. It says, in your anger, do not sin, but do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with it right away. And do not give the devil a foothold. So even if our anger is biblically justifiable, it's possible the devil can still come in and twist it and get a foothold in our life. So that's question number one. Is it wrong or right to get, to get angry? Well, it depends. The second question, getting a little deeper, why do we get so angry? Why do you and I get so angry at plumbing or children or if our team loses tonight in the Super Bowl? Why do we get so angry? <laughs> now, certainly I am not a therapist or counselor. There's people who could say this way better and probably more insightfully than I can. But here's what I think. At a heart level, at our heart of hearts, whenever we get angry, someone is threatening something or someone that we hold dear. Someone is getting in the way of something we are treasuring and valuing in our heart of hearts, and we feel like that thing is threatened, and so we must lash out with anger and defend it. So for instance, if somebody would attack my family, I value my family in my heart, which is a good thing, I'm not just going to sit by. I'm going to lash out with anger, and I'm going to, even though I'm small, I'm going to defend. I'm going to let him have it in my anger because I value and treasure my family. But let's think a lot more uh, on a smaller scale. That doesn't happen very often. Say tonight I want to watch the Super Bowl, and I want to watch it with peace and quiet. <laughs> and that's a great desire, isn't it? But say that my peace and quiet, my desire that I want in my heart of hearts is being interrupted so rudely by my children who are arguing about the toys they're playing with or not, who want a snack, who want this. What I hold dear in that moment is I want peace and quiet. I want to watch the Super Bowl, but they are violating that. And so I'm angry. I have to rush to defend my peace and my quiet and my comfort. Basically, I have to rush to defend the kingdom of, of me, just like Samson. <laughs> in that moment, I am not trying to discipline them for their good. I am lashing out in anger because I am valuing my own peace and quiet. Let's think of another example. Say you go through the drive-thru and it's slow. You ever had that? <laughs> How many of you get angry in that moment? <laughs> well, why do you get so angry? <laughs> you know, maybe it's because, I know for me, often I'm running late, so I have like five minutes to get something and go to my next meeting, and so if I'm not careful, I could take out my anger on the drive-thru person but really, it's, I mean, yes, they may be slow. Yes, it may be their fault to some degree. But, but why am I really angry? Well, I'll tell you why I'm angry. It's because I didn't give myself enough time to go to the drive-thru. And I'm going to look bad. I'm, my ego, I'm going to look bad for my next meeting that Pastor Rick is late. <laughs> and so the reason I'm really angry in that moment is I'm defending, again, my own ego, the kingdom of me. So it's always worth asking, when you get angry, what are you defending? What are you treasuring in your heart of hearts that you have to have? that you cannot live without. And I mentioned all these illustrations to my staff, and you know what they said? One of them said, 
I may just be a simple person, but I just get angry when I feel like life is out of control. Can you relate to that? I get angry when it feels like life is out of control, and I'm afraid. One of my friends from seminary, I was talking to him this week about this sermon, and he's really insightful. He said he thinks that anger often masks and hides other deeper emotions within us. So for instance, as a man, if you are a rageaholic and you get angry, chances are if you trace that anger back, it's because you're afraid and fearful. Your rage is covering up your fear and anxiety, or maybe you're really sad, and so your rage is covering up your sadness or your grief or your depression. Anger has a way of masking those kinds of emotions. So it's worth asking the question, why do I get angry? What is going on at the very center of my heart that is causing me to do this? Now let's go to the last part of my sermon. We looked at two observations, two questions. We're gonna look at how to handle anger and guess how many points I have. Not two, I have three points, just making sure you're paying attention. (laughs) Before I get to that, how do you handle anger? What does our culture tell us to do when it comes to anger? Probably a lot of things. One side may say, well, you need to stuff it. Don't acknowledge it. Just stuff it in. Don't acknowledge it. You know, just keep it, keep it alone. Or if you have a conflict with someone, just withdraw. Be passive. Don't, don't address it. Because some of us probably grew up in environments where anger was a bad thing, right? And so our first reaction, and it's not the right reaction, is let's stuff it. Let's not acknowledge it. And that's not the right way to handle anger. The other extreme would be to, you know, let it go. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Just let people have it. <laughs> and that's not good either because when you just let it go, it may feel better, but it, justify, it makes you feel like the sense of self-justification and gives you more justification to get angry again. It can be very addicting. How do we actually, actually handle anger? Well, three points, number one, very quickly, step one is to own it and confess it. Acknowledge it. Don't be in denial that you are an angry person. You know, it's so easy to be in denial. And even sometimes in our conflicts with people, when we're angry with someone, we may say, you know what? I'm not going to let you make me angry. You know, you're not worth it. I'm not going to let my anger be spent on you, even though deep down you're really angry. (laughs) In that moment, you're denying it. But the amazing thing about the truth of the gospel is we first of all have the bad news of the gospel, which says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many of you have sinned in your life at some point? (laughs) That verse is telling us and reminding us that we still sin at some level, even if you're saved. And so chances are all of us have an anger problem at some level. But that's the bad news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel encourages us to admit our sin. It encourages us to come clean because we are loved by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we actually confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin, and to cleanse us, make us clean, whiter than snow. So if we are covered under the blood of the Lamb, should we not, as Christians, be the most confessing people in the entire world? Should we not be the most willing to admit our problems and faults and, hey, I'm covered by the grace of God. I am affirmed by the King of Kings. He encourages me to do this. He will forgive it. We as people should be the first to admit our anger. That's the first step. The second step is to dig deeper in your heart to analyze your anger. Dig deeper in your heart to analyze your anger. How many of you have ever had a check engine light go off in your car and you ignored it? (laughs) 
Well, anger is a little bit like a check engine light going off in your soul, saying something is going on in your heart that, that you need to get to the bottom of it. If you don't, your engine may blow up. Anger is a signal. Often a lot of our emotions are signals that something is going on. God has given us, the, given us the incredible gift of emotion so we can kind of process what is really going on in our hearts. Jesus even said this very famously in Mark 7, for it is from within, out of a person's what? Their heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And I would certainly add rage and anger. So ask yourself this question if you're angry. What am I defending that I think I have to have? What am I treasuring and valuing in my heart of hearts that's causing me to, to lash out? And sometimes it can be a really good thing. It could be peace and quiet. It could be comfort. But when that good thing becomes the ultimate thing more than the glory of God, that's when our anger gets very disproportionate. In our heart of hearts, you may have made things like your status and ego, number one, or people's approval and acceptance, number one. And when that's violated, you lash out, or money and possessions, or achievement and career status, or security, or even just yourself, like Samson, who loved to put himself first. When anybody violated the kingdom of Samson, he was going to lash out. You know, when you and I get angry, what do we often say? Well, it's that person's fault, it's that circumstance. They made me angry. But let me tell you, it's never the other person's fault. It's always your heart's reaction. That's whose fault it is. I mean, look at Proverbs 24, 29. Proverbs says, do not say I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. Do you know what's going on in this verse? You're, he's encouraging us, he's reminding us that we often talk to ourselves. How many of you talk to yourself? I do all the time, but we are always doing this, whether we realize it or not. When something bad happens to you, you start to have this conversation. I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to get even. I have a right to be angry. But Proverbs says, don't do that. The thing that causes your anger is not necessarily the person or the situation, but your heart's reaction to the situation. One scholar said, what makes you angry is not what happened to you, but what you tell yourself about what happened to you. So number one was own it, confess it. Number two was dig deeper. And by the way, you may need some help with that. Maybe a friend, a counselor, the Holy Spirit. Often we don't always know our own hearts. Number three, surrender your anger to God so he can transform it through the power of the gospel. Surrender your anger and heart to God so he can transform it through the power of the gospel. The Bible is full of this kind of language of submitting, surrendering. If you are struggling with anger, God already knows. Agree with him. Tell him about it. Give it to him. And he can transform it through what I call the power, what the Bible calls the power of the what? The gospel. If you go to Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of that gospel, because it is the power of God. It brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. What's amazing about that statement is, yes, it is for non-believers, it brings salvation, but if you read the whole book of Romans, Romans could be this entire discourse on the gospel and how it applies not just to non-believers, but to believers. 
If you're a believer, you and I need the power of the gospel just as much in a different way than a non-believer. And think of what Jesus did in the power of the gospel, the good news. Jesus took a whole lot of anger on our behalf. He took our anger, first of all, on the cross. I mean, people said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. They hit him. They spit spit at him. They mocked him. They said, prophesy. Tell us who hit you. You saved others. You can't even save yourself. I mean, that crowd, that was us, really, was angry at Jesus. And he didn't deserve it. So Jesus took anger that he didn't deserve, but he also took the anger that we did deserve. The Bible says in Romans 1:18 just after this that the wrath of God is against us. Because of our sin, because of our unrighteousness, God's appropriate perfect wrath is against us. And Jesus came so that he could on the cross absorb all that wrath, absorb the anger of God which was appropriate and perfect and just for our sin. He didn't deserve it, but we deserve the wrath. But he took the wrath so you and I could have peace with God, reconciliation with God, restoration with God. He absorbed the wrath, even though we deserved way worse, (laughs) and he did it for us. You want to know what I think at least part of the solution is for our angry hearts? When you and I are constantly reminded of what Jesus did for us, how he absorbed the wrath, even though we deserve the wrath, that'll melt our hearts. If we're constantly reminded that Jesus had all the right in the world to be angry at us, and yet he took it for us, then we have no right either to ultimately be angry long-term, but to deal with it. When we see what Jesus did for us on the cross, it melts our hearts so we can start to begin to deal with this hidden thing called anger. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are not no anger or blow anger. You are slow to anger. And I thank you that you've dealt with our sin. You poured out your wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. Even though we deserved it, he willingly took it out of grace and mercy for us. And if we believe in it, we are forgiven. And Lord, that transforms our hearts so that we can also deal with anger in our own heart, deal with anger with others and conflict with others. Lord, it enables us, Lord, to get rid of the anger and have peace with God and peace in our life. Father, I pray that more and more you would show us how the gospel applies to each and every one of us every single day. Melt our hearts, we pray, into surrendering everything we're going through today, we pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who took it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin?
I know in many ways I just scratched the surface on anger. It's hard to cover such a deep topic in 30 minutes or less, but if you feel like it struck a nerve, I would encourage you, keep surrendering to the Lord. Come talk to me. Come talk with someone. God is very gracious today to you to show you that you need to work on this. And he can enable you to work on this. He can bring freedom through his son, Jesus Christ. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks so much for coming. You're dismissed.